So I learned again uh, this week that everyone's favorite topic is themselves. <laughs> this, this week I took some training uh, to help people in relationships, specifically marriages. And uh, the training said at the very beginning that the material, the content had been around for a while, but uh, people weren't connecting to just content being delivered in, in lectures and things like that. Uh, but what got people's attention was when they started asking people questions and then they delivered the content in relation to the person taking or get, getting the questions asked. So when the person was the focal point of the content, they loved it. So, for example, you've probably seen this, this, this truth play out in like a personality test. You, you answer all these questions about yourself and then at the end it's like, yeah, that's me. That, that's awesome, um, because that's the way I think. That's the way I feel. Uh, you make it relevant to me, and I'm interested. And that is a great way to learn, but it's a very limiting way to live, because if we live this way, then we surround ourselves with people who are like us, and then when we start learning, oh, they're not quite like us, we, we can easily discount them and say, well, they're not like me, so I need to go find more people who are like me. And you just get a lot more of you if you surround yourself with you. Uh, but God has a much better plan for his people. And we're going to see that plan is for people to live in peace, even with others who are not like us at all. And the passage that we're going to look at today is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 through the end of that chapter. But I wanted to start our reading in Ephesians verses, uh, ver verse 8. And then, and then moving on, because this is a beautiful passage, it's, it's a familiar passage, and it's one worth including, since it's right there, right before uh, verse 11. I wanted to start with Ephesians 2, 8. And Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, For it is by grace you have been saved. God's activity in your life saves us, and nothing else, through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by, by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope. And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, because of all this, you're no longer foreigners and aliens or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets 
with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Jesus, you too, y'all, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So we see here, God's plan for his people is peace with others. And specifically, that includes peace with others who are not like us. And uh, I don't really have time. I'd love to just kind of take us through the Bible and unpack this Jew and Gentile relationship from the beginning. Um, But they were so different and they did not like each other. When, When this verse says the dividing wall of hostility, that describes their relationship. They were hostile, and in many cases, even today, they still are hostile towards each other. The Jews and everybody else is the Gentiles, the rest of the world. Gentile is the same word for nations. So there's this them and us mentality. And, and, and you see this, I'll give you some examples. Jonah, you remember Jonah and the big fish? You, you remember that story, right? Yeah. So Jonah, after he spent some time in the big fish, he went kind of reluctantly, he went and talked to the, to, to the nation of Nineveh, and he didn't really want to. He said, uh, 40 days and you'll be punished, 40 days and you'll be overthrown. He didn't even tell them to repent, because he didn't want them to, but they repented and God relented. God chose to, to not give them what they deserved, and Jonah, at the end of the story, do you remember? Jonah was angry. He said, God, I knew you would do this. I knew you're a God of mercy, and I didn't want to see you give mercy to our enemies, the Gentiles. So that illustrates the hostility between these two groups. Another example is in Acts 10. Peter got this vision, and uh, it, it's, 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 one of, it's, it's a key moment in the New Testament because it's introducing the Gentiles into the church. Up to that time, it had been mostly a Jewish movement, But God tells Peter multiple times, no, the Gentiles are included. The Gentiles are included. And it took Peter a long time to, you know, wrap his mind around that. Um, And and you see it at the the time of Jesus' life and his ministry, the Jews were under Roman rule. Romans were Gentiles. And the Jews did not like the Romans. And Barabbas, who who, uh, the crowd asked for, Barabbas to be released rather than Jesus in front of Pilate. Barabbas was a Jewish rebel who was part of a coup to overthrow the Roman government. He was an insurrectionist. So again, Jews and Gentiles, no likey, right? They don't like each other. So when Paul says, you all who were called uncircumcision, who were not part of the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, You were separate. You were without hope and without God in the world. He is talking about two groups of people who are so different from each other, vastly different in just about every way. But in Christ, they're no longer two, but one. Verse 14 says, Jesus himself is our peace. He is the one who made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier that existed between these groups, the dividing wall of hostility. And if hostility like this can be overcome, then surely indifference, ignorance, and every other barrier that exists between people today can be overcome as well in Jesus, with him as our peace. Because through him, we both have access to one God, the one God, the Father, by the one Spirit. Through Jesus, we all have access to God. 
And, and, and in so doing, we, we are connected together. We're, we're not just separate parts of the house, these walls that are detached from each other, but we're actually together. And you see this in verse 22 where he says, in him, you two, which is a plural you, y'all, are being built together to become one dwelling. So again, many people, all sorts of different people, one dwelling. That's, that's what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a dwelling in which God's personal presence is made known through many people together. And he says, Jesus is the cornerstone. So a cornerstone connects two walls. And these walls, I think he's, so I just, I just got to say, theologians across the ages, they kind of differ on what this verse means, uh, the, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But I believe, based on the context, that he's still talking about Jews and Gentiles. And so you got these disconnected walls, and a cornerstone, what it does is it connects two walls. So verse 20 when it says, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Yeah, I, I added a lot more words in that slide for you. Um, when, we're, when it says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, I believe he's referencing the apostles who reached the Gentiles, reached the nations. I'm, I'm overgeneralizing here, but like Paul says in Ephesians 3, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. The Gentiles were more responsive to the apostles' message. The prophets were sent to the Jews in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the cornerstone that unites Jew and Gentile together. He's he's the foundation. And that's what a cornerstone does. It connects two walls. And it makes them one wall together. So it, it just ties into the rest of the context. No longer two, but one. No longer separate, but unified so the summary of this whole passage is Jesus brings together all people, all kinds of people. And so, man, there's just all sorts of implications. Like, if Jesus really does bring together all kinds of people, then the church should be welcoming of all kinds of people. Not that we let sin, you know, just go willy-nilly, but we, we welcome them because Jesus can bring us together in Christ, in following Jesus. We're all subject to him and not to our own personal preferences or wishes. But peace is available to anybody who makes Jesus their king. Now, this doesn't just happen where you pray a prayer and, you know, Jesus becomes your king. Um, it, It takes effort and intentionality. If you read the New Testament, these churches, they had all sorts of problems in living out this unity But this is God's picture of his people, to live at peace together under King Jesus. And so today, you know, we have all all these different approaches to church, you know. Some people look, I've known some guys look at church as a dating service. It's like, well, you know, maybe there's some some people I could potentially date here. I'll I'll go to this church. Um, They they look at church as a way to connect with people in their life stage. I'm newly married and I'm looking for a church with other lots of newly marrieds. Uh, Or, you know, we kind of have kids this range. Do do you guys have kids this range? Um, And none of these things are bad inherently. They're they're not inherently bad, but does it account for the differences? The the differences of all, all kinds of different people coming together for the purpose of becoming like Jesus. 
And it's not just in the church. This has incredible practical implications for our lives, like your workplace. Do you work with people who are different than you? Like maybe a boss who's just different than you. Um, There's peace for you and peace offered to them in Christ. If you have weird neighbors, just neighbors you have no idea how to connect to, um, peace. Jesus brings all sorts of different people together. Jesus is for everybody. Kids. I mean, sometimes, and I know some people out here, you're super skilled at connecting with kids. But when I started working with kids, I was like, what are these kids thinking? (laughs) It's so hard for me. So hard. It's not natural for me to connect to kids. They're just different. And, And even as I press into, like, some of my deeper friendships, I'm like, man, this guy is so different from me. Like, he feels things that, Like, he's just in touch with his feelings, and I'm not. I'm I'm more of a thinker, uh, or he's a talker, and I'm not. Um, You know, maybe I'm educated, and they're not. None of that stuff really matters in the kingdom of God, though. That is not what defines our relationship together, because Jesus is the center. He is the cornerstone that connects us together. So, I I just, I think as a church... I think we're doing a good job with like watching out for these divides because they can be intentional. Like, I don't like that type of music. I don't like that type, you know, that that worship music is not me. That that can be an intentional divide or it can just be an unintentional divide. Like, uh, I don't know how to relate to the other gender very well. So I'm just going to unintentionally, you know, back off. Uh, Unintentionally divide by interest. Like, hey, I talked to all these guys after the service that we have this in common. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a life experience. And, and it can be an unintentional divide. Hunting, music, uh, stage of life, like I mentioned, single. You know, you're in school, you're not in school. Just, all these things can unintentionally be a divide that we, we have to watch out for. Because there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with sharing these things in common. But our fellowship, what brings us together, what keeps us together, is sharing Jesus in common, and and he unites everyone. Even things like where we sit, (laughs) you know, on on a Sunday morning. uh, If we sit in the same general area, it it can easily, you know, I'm not pointing any fingers, it's okay. I've I've been there, but but listen to me. What what do you do before and after service? You talk with the people around you, and it it can be an unintentional divide. So we're going to, we're going to do something weird. If this is your first time, we don't, we've never done this. Might not ever do it again. But uh, uh, are you all familiar with a Chinese fire drill? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chinese fire drill is when uh, a car stops at a red light, and then everybody quickly unbuckles and runs and gets in a, runs around the car and gets in seat. So we're, we're going to do what I call a Christianese fire drill. Um, and... You don't have to do this. If, if you're immobile or, you know, you just don't want to get up, that's totally fine with me. And I know, I know some people, you sit in your seats for really good reason. But if you're able and willing, uh, maybe to come from the back more towards the middle or, you know, if you want to stay in the back, you could move from this side to that side. Uh, and no running and, and, you know, stick with your spouses or whoever you're here with if you want to stick with somebody. Um, so... I'm going to give us some, I'm going to give us just about 30 seconds to go find a new seat and we're going to do a Christianese fire drill. So.
Yeah. Oh my. Bold. I like it. That's good. Hey. Okay, so so before the last people sit down, I I want to say this. Don't don't let anyone sit all by themselves in a pew because Living at peace with each other means we actually live together. So if, if there's anyone with, okay, that's good. You guys, you guys nailed it. Good job. So, so that's the first point of the passage, to, to live at peace with others, especially those not like us. And in order to live at peace with others, it starts with living at peace with ourselves. Um, this, this isn't directly talked about in the passage, but other places like when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, He's implying that there is an appropriate self-love, appropriate way to live at peace in love regarding your own self. And so the kind of love that is helpful, the kind of love that we want to offer to others, it comes from a place of security. And so up, up to this point in the message, when I say peace, I've just let you think of whatever you think of is peace. Um, now I want to define it. This was really helpful for me this week. Uh, because it says this, um, I got it from someone else, I modified it slightly, but peace is often associated with an absence of conflict, that's what I think of, but it's a lot more than an absence, peace is the presence of security and hope, it's the presence of security and hope, peace is what allows people to remain consistently uncontrolled by outside turmoil or critique, and when you are at peace, you're aware of how secure you are in God's good world. And that is the good news. That, that's available because Jesus himself, like verse 14 of this passage says, Jesus himself is our peace. And so peace is available no matter what we're going through. Peace with God. And this can be confusing. This is not easy to implement stuff because you can have peace with God and have no functional peace in your life. What I mean is you can have peace with God, meaning God's not angry at you. You're, you're in God's good standing, but you can live a life of worry and stress and uh, no peace now. And, and so I'm talking about position versus participation. And so here's some analogies to help you. If you're my Facebook friend, you have that position. You are my Facebook friend. But just because you have that, that position doesn't mean we participate in any way. It doesn't mean that we're engaged in ongoing relationship. It just means you're, you're on the list. Same thing in, in my phone. You know, you could be in my phone saved as a contact, but actually talking is participation. And so you can, you can be a child of God. You can belong to him. Uh, you know, have God's love and grace directed in, in your direction, directed at you, but uh, not actually participate with him in any way. Uh, small groups, if you're new here, small groups is really important to who we are as a church. And uh, it's where we gather together, share life together, and, and walk together. Um, and, and you can come and have the book that you, we go through as a small group, um, 
without participating. Uh, you cannot say anything. You could keep your questions to yourself. You could not confess your sin. Um, position is a lot different than participation. And Jesus didn't just die for us to have a position with God, a position of forgiven. He died so that we could live with him, so that we would participate in his life. Verse 18 says, By Jesus, we both have access to God the Father by one spirit. And so it's like if someone bought, bought you a car. If someone bought you a car and said, here's the keys. And you take the keys, and you put them in your pocket, and you didn't have any other car, but you just go walking on your way. You now have the position of car owner, <laughs> but no participation as a car driver. You know, someone who participates with owning a car. And so all, all I'm trying to say is it is possible to live anxious, worried lives while claiming allegiance to the Prince of Peace. That's, that's a possibility for all of us. But why do that? And I'm talking to myself as well. It's easy for me to be worried, to, to have anxious a heart and an anxious mind while claiming allegiance to the Prince of Peace. But it's also possible... Another option is to live peaceful lives in the midst of anxiety and stress. And so accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, choosing to follow him, doesn't mean that all your problems will go away. In fact, in many ways, it means your problems uh, are just being identified. <laughs> you're, you're starting to work on them. But it, this type of life is possible, that you rejoice in the Lord always, that you're not anxious even when you feel anxious. Did you hear me? You can, you, can not, you can feel anxious and not be anxious. Jesus in the garden, he was so anxious that he was sweating blood. He was feeling that. But he was not living in a state of distrust. He was living in a state of trust, surrendering his feelings and his, his desires to the Father. And Paul, the, the, the guy who wrote Philippians 4, 6 through 9, he, he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned. And he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I have a hard time thinking Paul never felt anxious. I think he felt anxious a lot. But he was not anxious because he redirected his thoughts to remember that God is good and that God's in control. Jesus, he actually knows how to live this life. He did it. Nobody ever had more on their plate than Jesus did. He was charged with living a perfect life and saving the world. And he was relaxed. Yeah, it's kind of funny for me to think about too. It's so, it's so not natural. It's so not natural to live that way. She's good. It's all right. Um, yeah, but Jesus himself is our peace. So we can learn how to live like him. Discipleship is learning under a master teacher. And as we learn from Jesus how to live, we stand, our lives model discipleship. And that's what the church is for. Discipleship, the church is for discipleship, and discipleship is for the world, which means he is our peace. He can be their peace too. He can be your peace too. And so I want to end with announcements, uh, some of the stuff that we have going on as a church, um, like Treat Street, it's going to be Halloween evening, 
uh, this is an invitation for others around the church building or just anybody who wants to come and get candy for their kids on Halloween. It's an invitation to live in God's peace, to start relationships where together we learn how to live in God's peace. Uh, Conversation, community gathering. This is an invitation to cultivate peace in our homes. It's a space to talk about the practical implications of this. We get together and we, sh- we share life. Specifically, how do we raise kids well? How do we cultivate healthy marriages? Um, we we want to cultivate peace in our home life. And then learning to live out of God's peace, this, is, this requires training. Day in, day out, week in, week out training. And so that's what our small groups exist for. They're, they're training buddies. And, and this is actually an opportunity for us to invite others in uh, who are like you or who are not like you. Invite them into our lives and learn how to live lives of peace together. So we'll pray and then we'll continue uh, in worship through some more songs. So Jesus, would you... Uh, Show us what it would look like for you to be our peace, our sense of security, our sense of hope. That our well-being in this world does not depend on circumstances or what other people think of us. And would, would us having peace with you um, change the way that we look at ourselves, change the way we relate to others, especially those who are not like us?